Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? Man, worship this morning, I don't know about you, but I'm just sitting there and just engaged and um, grateful to be in the space where we can worship, but the words that come to my head right now is don't screw it up. Um, I'm excited about the message that, that I feel like God's put on my heart for today too, but um, I want to start off, I want to tell you a story. Um, so a couple years ago, I had a car, uh, and I was in college, just transitioning into seminary, and this was what you would call, um, I would affectionately call it maybe a grandma car, right? I mean, I was like 18, 19 years old, but, but my car was like white, and it was like from the 90s, and it had blue everything inside, but not like a cool blue, like, like a soft, you know, like, like, I don't know, soft blue. So blue dashboard and blue seats, and when I drove it, I just didn't feel good about myself. I didn't like it, um, but I was driving my car one day, uh, and all of a sudden, uh, I was driving down Lake Michigan Drive, and all of a sudden, I just hear this, the worst ringing noise that I had ever heard. I'm driving down Lake Michigan Drive, if you know that one, it's 45 miles an hour, and there's a sort of grinding, whining sort of noise that's coming out, obviously, from one of my tires. And it was horrible. And so I noticed, though, that, that this grinding, I mean, to the point that it's like vibrating in my head. And the, I noticed, though, that when I slowed down at the stoplight, the noise went away. And then I would speed up, and the noise would come back right around 45, 50 miles an hour, and then I'd speed up beyond that, and the noise would go away. So something about this 35 to 45 mile an hour range, every time I would drive that speed, this noise would just come, and it was like, it was blood curdling. I mean, it was just horrible. And so here's how I decided to deal with it. I'm a college student. I'm just entering seminary. I don't have a lot of money. So what I do is I learn to drive differently. Right? As I drive down Lake Michigan, I refuse to drive between the speeds of 35 and 45 miles an hour because it's miserable for me. So I either speed in the slow zones or I drive slow in the fast zones. And typically I was doing the first one, I would just drive faster. And this went on over time, over time, and the reason I didn't want to address it, the, the reason I didn't want to get it fixed is because to me, the cost was too high. I didn't want to figure out what it was. I didn't want to get it diagnosed. I didn't want to pay for parts. I didn't want to pay for labor. I didn't want it to consume my time. I just, I learned to live in spite of the brokenness of my car. And here's the, the question that I want to throw out to you today, is what areas in our life are broken that instead of addressing, because maybe they're too costly or they take too much time or they require too much vulnerability. What areas of our life do we just choose, even when they're broken or altered or, you know, separated in some sort? They're just not the way that they were originally intended to be. How do you treat those areas of your life? Do you address them and do you jump in and go, okay, it doesn't matter what it is, I'm going to address it, whether it's conflict or whether it's something to do with in marriage or at your job or career, whatever it is, do you step into it immediately and go, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to fix this, I'm going to restore it, I'm going to bring it back to what it originally was, or do you do what I often do? I kind of sweep it under the rug and go, I'll add it to my to-do list, that person that I have to reach out and talk to or the apology that I owe someone else or owning up to the sin that I had done behind closed doors or what I had said about someone else? Do, do you address it and do you confess it and do you deal with it and deal with the problem or do you simply just ignore it and sweep it under? Um, I'm excited about the text that we're in today because it addresses just that. 
Uh, we're in the middle of a series right now called Zeros Not Heroes. And uh, what this series is, is it's a series of uh, zeros for our vision that we've cast here um, that we are striving for as a church, but also as individuals. As we live out what it means to be disciples, what are we achieving or what are we striving to achieve? And so the five zeros that we have up here on the wall are this, zero gods before him, zero unconnected in community, zero unfulfilled callings, zero lost people, and zero needs among us. This comes out of a story that Brian shared, uh, I think it was last week, about a shepherd. Jesus is telling a story and he says, a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away and gets lost. And so the shepherd leaves 99 to go search for the one, not so that he can come back and go, hey, I have a hundred sheep, but so that he could say, I have zero lost sheep. And what we believe about our church and what we believe about what God's called our church to, both capital C church, churches all over the world, and also this church, is that we should be focused on that number zero of people in our community, people, zero gods before God, zero unconnected in our community. And today we're talking about zero unfulfilled callings. So this past week I was doing a little homework, I was doing some study, and I found out that in our world right now, in our country, 30% of people are engaged in their job at some point. 30% of people are engaged in their work and find purpose in what they do, which means 70% of people in our world don't find engagement or don't see purpose in their life in how it relates to something that consumes most of our time. So this is a big issue and a big problem because so many people, maybe this is you, you're sitting here going, I go to work because it pays the bills. And I travel because I have to. And I, I put in long hours because I'm going to get something in return. But d deep down, deep inside, we're looking for this. What's this greater purpose? Why was I created? What am I here on earth for? So Jesus actually has something to say about this. And in the Bible, we're, if you have a Bible, open it up. We're going to be in Mark 5 today, Mark chapter 5. Mark was one of the disciples that Jesus uh, called. And so Mark follows Jesus for three years. And there's one day after Jesus has spent time preaching and teaching, he's traveled around, he's healed people, he's cast out demons, and he's sitting around a sort of like campfire with his disciples. And they're on the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee looks something like this. So they're, they're camped out right on the Sea of Galilee, and I mean, it's, it's just beautiful, it's perfect, it's calm. And so Jesus, and, and you can see like the mountains in the background, and, and so Jesus looks at his disciples, and these are like a bunch of teenage and 20-something boys. And he looks at them and he says, hey, let's go to the other side. And as they've been learning what it means to be a disciple and learning what it means to follow Jesus, Jesus throws this out and he says, let's go to the other side. And you and I here, let's go to the other side of the lake. Let's go to the other side of the sea. But what they heard was something much different. When Jesus said, let's go to the other side, he was talking about an entirely different group of people. He was talking about a different political realm, right? It wasn't just crossing like a geographical border. It was a political border. It was a cultural border. And what we would soon find out, it was actually a significant spiritual border as well. And so the disciples were hesitant, and they didn't want to go, and they resisted it because this group of people that the disciples were in didn't associate with the people on the other side of the lake. It was very much a, an us-them mentality. And so Jesus says, hey, let's, let's get in the boat. Let's go to the other side. And so in following, in obedience, taking a step out to do what Jesus is telling them to do, they load up in the boats, and they set sail, 
and they get to the other side, and this is where our story is. So if you have your Bible, that's great. If not, if you're joining us, if you're here for the first time, or if you're not even a Christian, uh, I just want to give a caveat to you. This is an awesome message uh, to hear because this is really, the focus here is what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, and how do you find purpose in that? And so Mark chapter 5, um, you can just Google that if you want, or just listen. And it's a longer passage, but stick with me here. Mark chapter 5 says this, They, being the disciples and Jesus, went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and he would cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran And he fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. And I'm so tempted to add the word anymore. Because he's living in constant torment. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? Talking to the spirit. My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Verse 11 says, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out, out of the man, and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and told this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And notice this phrase right here, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man, and I love this, and told them about the pigs as well. Hard to ignore the 2,000 carcasses in the lake, right? Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus didn't let him. He said no, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. What a weird story. Isn't that strange? This is not what you picture when we talk about calling and discipleship, is it? 
A demon-possessed man who's lost his mind. He's naked, he's bloody, he's screaming, he's scary. He lives among the dead. And it's as if, I mean, picture the disciples, right? The disciples, Jesus says, let's go to the other side. And immediately they go, ah, Jesus, maybe you haven't heard. They're a little different on the other side. They're stranger. They're not like us. And, uh, you know, uh, not many of us actually go over there almost ever. But sure, we'll trust you and we'll follow you. And so sure enough, they get in the boat. They go to the other side. And they see this character running down the hill, screaming his head off, bloody, sweaty, gross looking, and butt naked. And the disciples, a bunch of teenage boys, are sitting there going, told you. (laughs) This is what we're talking about. A guy who's lost it. And here's the thing. I want to focus on this man for a second. This man was cast out of his community. When Jesus here, Jesus is recorded talking to these demons. And the demons, Jesus says, okay, what is your name? And the demon says, my name is Legion because we're many. And legion was like saying brigade or company. It was a a military term. And so legion meant 5,600 Roman troops. And so the demon identifies himself not not by a specific name, but by a group of people or a group of of things. And he says, yeah, we, we are many and we own this guy. And demons, the sole purpose of demons and the sole purpose of evil is not just to torment but to destroy. And so it's as if when Jesus is talking to them saying, what is your name? They respond and say, my name is Legion and we are many and we own this man. And as you think about the society that they live in and the culture, uh, I want to paint a picture. Uh, This past week I was in Holland and uh, I spent some time in a local cemetery. I'm trying to like embody this. Like what's it like to live in a cemetery surrounded by death? You know, just walking around trying to get an idea. And so this is what the cemetery looks like, right? This is what we know as cemeteries in our context. Uh, Sometimes this this strikes a chord with us, right? Because we buried loved ones. But you just look and you go, well, it, it looks relatively nice. The grass is well kept. Flowers are everywhere. You know, the tombstones are, are very well taken care of, and they're, they're rock. I mean, they're solid, and they're carved into them, and, and you can tell that people maintain it. And this, it actually, I, I wasn't scared to be there. It wasn't full of death. That I, could, I mean, it was full of memories. So as, as I'm walking through, reading tombstone after tombstone after tombstone, seeing names and loved ones and, and couples and kids, and they're all buried together. And to me, it just brings memories. But, but that's not where this guy lived. Where this guy lived looks somewhere like this. It's a bunch of caves in the side of a mountain. And this is in Israel, so it's in the desert. And imagine this too. In the middle of the day, temperatures easily get 100, 110, 120 degrees. It's blazing hot. But then when the sun disappears and goes away, it's freezing. And it's cold. And you can imagine the man in the daytime sweating profusely and hot and overheating. And he's not around people. And then at night, he's shivering and cold and curled up. And it says he cried out day and night and day and night and day and night, reminding everyone that he was still there. And so he's in the tombs. He, he lives in these caves, and, but they don't bury people in this context. You know, the ground is very rocky. It's very hard. So they do something like this. They carve out smaller caves and they call them tombs. And so they wrap the bodies and they put the bodies inside the cave. This is where the man lives. 
He's surrounded by death. He's surrounded by the stench of corpses. He's been denied by his community. He's been pushed out, cast out, and people who have tried to forget him. And then he sees Jesus. Before I move on from this, I just want to ask the question, do you ever feel like you live in the tombs? Do you ever feel like the, the spot in your life that you get, whatever it was, something had broken long ago, maybe it was in your childhood, maybe it was in your marriage, maybe it was with kids, maybe it was with your job, maybe it was a personal failure, wh- whatever it is, just brokenness that you feel or have experienced. Do you ever feel like that the, the community that you were around disowned you? and pushed you out, or, or didn't connect with you, or, or kind of removed you and forgot about you, and you're sitting there, and you feel like you're surrounded by death. You feel like you're dying a slow death, and yet these demons, right, 2,000 demons inside this man, it, it's, you can only imagine, I, I wonder if he just wanted to end it, and to just be done. You ever feel like that? Or do you ever feel the weight of just brokenness inside of you or inside relationships? And so when Jesus comes, this is discipleship. Remember, he's teaching his disciples what it means to live as a disciple, to live like him, to usher in the kingdom of God. And so he looks at his disciples and he says, come with me. And so they come with him and they see that Jesus goes straight to the man, the man that for years people had been ignoring that they had pushed out, that they had forgotten. Jesus goes straight to him and brings peace, brings restoration, brings quiet. And the man is in his right mind, and I want to focus one more time on the people of the community. They come out and they see this man, the man everybody knew, right? They go around, they tell the story, hey, did you hear about what happened to this guy? Which guy? You know, the psycho that lives in the tombs? Oh, this guy. Yeah, what happened? What did he do now? And as they walk out to look and they walk out to see and they see the, the carcasses of the pigs just sitting in the water and they see the man and, who was once bloodied and naked and disgusting is now dressed and he's sitting and he's quietly and he's in his right mind. And the people were afraid. And I would argue that the cost of restoring this man was too high for the community because they looked at the 2,000 pigs and although to us today it's like okay that's a lot of bacon I don't know how else to quantify that for them it was a livelihood it was not just one man's career it was a family's livelihood and a family's inheritance that had just died and the community went that's too much what might it cost me to step into this man's brokenness Jesus please leave And this is what's crazy. I just want to read this last part. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him. The community that was pushing Jesus out and keeping him at bay and saying, please leave and don't come back. Go back to your side of the lake. Just stay there where everybody's fine. We were okay with this evil, this craziness that existed in our society, this sin We were okay with that, but we're not okay with you, Jesus. Please leave. And the man begs Jesus to go with him, but here's what Jesus says. Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. 
Jesus wasn't satisfied with just reaching one more. Jesus' heart and Jesus' intention was the entire broken community that said, it's too much for Jesus to come here. And Jesus said, that's fine. I'll send him. And imagine the teaching moment for the disciples as they look and they see, here's this man, the man that was too far gone, the man that was corrupt, the man that was out of control. Jesus says, you go and you tell everyone. And so he does. And the last line here says, and all the people were amazed. Discipleship is about stepping in to brokenness, to stepping in where Jesus has called us to go, to stepping into pain, stepping into hurt, stepping into brokenness, stepping into sin. And so as Jesus is teaching his disciples and also in this quick moment teaches this man, I'm going to send you to a place that you're not sure where you're going to go and what it's going to look like, but I promise you I will be with you. And the words that Jesus says to this man are the same words that Jesus says to all of his disciples on the day that he arose into heaven right in front of their very eyes. And he says this, it's in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Just listen to that, go and make disciples of all nations sure sounds a lot like go home to your own people. Go to your context, go to your work, Go to your family, go to your marriage, and go to you, go to your own heart and address the brokenness and follow me as I can bring the hope and peace and restoration that the world so desperately wants. Um, I was in seminary this week, and uh, there's a woman in our class that was running through. She was doing a sermon as part of a presentation, and she used this quote. And I want to share the quote with you because I thought it was just, it was phenomenal. It changed my entire week and it changed the course of this message for me too. But this is what she said. She said, you know you're a disciple when you're following Jesus somewhere you don't want to go. You know you're a disciple of Jesus when you're following him somewhere you don't want to go. If you're only going where you think you want to go, you're not following anybody. And yet when you feel stirring or calling or God saying, okay, here's an area that I want you to step into, just take one step in this direction. You know you're a disciple when you don't want to go and yet you obediently do so anyway. So today I have a treat for you. I have something exciting and this is, this is going to be awesome. Um, but I want to invite up for the third time today, Brad. Um, you guys know Brad, and if you don't know Brad, that's fine. He's going to introduce himself. Uh, but Brad is our now-gen pastor here at Frontline. And so Brad oversees the, the student ministries here. And Brad has a heck of a story on how he got into ministry, uh, but also how he's living out discipleship in his personal life as well. So would you just welcome Brad up here first, and then we'll jump in. So let's just start this way, Brad. For people who don't know you, they've never seen you before except twice already today, um, who are you? Yeah, so like you said, my name is Brad. Um, I'm what we call the Now Gym Pastor here, which is basically just our way of saying I work with uh, students from 6th to 12th grade here at the church. Um, but also, in addition to that, David and I serve on our discipleship team here at the church, which we'll get into why that matters in just a few minutes here. But uh, like the picture shows up there, uh, that's my wife, Sam, who is in Colorado right now, so I'm a little jealous of her. Um, and our crazy cool daughter, Emery, on my shoulders there. Sweet. So um, another question I have for you then is... 
Did you ever want to be a pastor when you were growing up? Is that what you always <laughs> wanted to do? Absolutely not. In fact, when I was growing up, uh, my grandpa would often ask me, what do you want to do for a living? And uh, like every kid, it changed from week to week. I wanted to be a teacher, a lawyer, a rock star at one point. Um, and he would always say back to me, I thought you told me you wanted to be a pastor. And that was so annoying to me because I had never said that, and it's not where I saw my life going in any way. Cool. So how did you end up in ministry then if you never wanted to do that? <laughs> so um, I came to Frontline about seven years ago. Um, and my wife, Sam, and I, we weren't even dating at that point, um, walked in for the first time, and I was in a really broken spot in my own life. Um, I've shared that story in teaching here before. Um, but I was really broken and in need of healing and restoration. Um, and it was through becoming part of this church that God really began to work in my life and in my wife's life as well and, and brought people around us that loved us. Uh, we brought all of our brokenness to these people. And instead of retreating and shying away, uh, they walked closer with us. And through a process of coming here and healing, we really started to grow spiritually in our own walk. Um, and then eventually, a couple years after that, um, there was a need for people to serve in student ministries. We take our students to a camp every summer called Never the Same Camp. And Sam and I had a week free, and we thought, why not? We'll just jump in for this week of camp. Uh, we didn't know where it would lead or what would happen. Um, and so we jumped in to serve for this week of camp, and God rocked our worlds. Um, we had no clue what he was going to do. And um, some of the same brokenness that I had been walking through, I saw that in the lives of students that week. And I saw God bring healing and restoration to students in that week of camp. And I knew from that point on, that this is something I want to be a part of, that I want to be a part of leading people to Jesus in the same way that I had been led to Jesus. Cool. So how did that translate then into a career or a job here at Frontline? So fast forward a few years from that, um, there was a sudden and unexpected opening in leading student ministries. And um, I was asked to step in on an interim basis into student ministries. And my initial reaction was no, like <laughs> that is not something I'm interested in doing. I don't want to do that. And I remember God just saying like, you love this ministry, just step in. Just step in and see what happens. See where I take you. And so I said, okay, like I'm willing to step in. And what ended up happening is I fell in love with the church all over again. I fell in love with this idea of doing ministry and I felt like God was calling me uh, with no Bible degree, with no qualifications to step into doing this on a more permanent, more long-term basis. Cool. So, and here's the part, I, I love Brad, and I've had for the last eight months the opportunity just to get to know him on a much more personal level, but also gotten to hear more of, okay, what does it mean to be a disciple then outside of just a ministry job or ministry context or career? And so the question then that I want to turn and, and focus on, and this is, this is what I'm really excited for him to share with you all as well, um, but what's an area of life that you feel like God has called you to step into brokenness um, that doesn't have anything to do with your job here at Frontline? Yeah, so it was exactly four years ago. We were sitting near the front right here, um, and Brian was preaching, and he mentioned something in his teaching about foster care. And the, the teaching wasn't even about foster care. It was just one little line. And both Sam and I simultaneously, after that teaching, felt this prompt from God, like this tap on the shoulder that, like, I'm calling you into doing foster care. And immediately, we built up every wall in our minds as to why that was a horrible idea for us. I mean, our finances wouldn't allow it. Our schedules wouldn't allow it. Who were we, just having been married for one year with no parenting experience, to step into this and to do this? And I remember just, like, our families aren't going to support it. Like, every single thing that we could do 
to build up this wall in our minds, we did. And over the course of the next several weeks, God tore those walls down one by one and said, you know, I'm not asking you to see where this is going to lead you. I'm not asking you to see this whole thing out. I'm asking you to take the next faithful step and follow me to see where it goes. So did you end up getting a placement? Yeah, so it was about a month after we got licensed that we got a little two-month-old adorable boy named Carden. So we were thrust right into the parenting thing a year into marriage. Cool. And then this is the important piece here is something happened a month in to this new foster child being in your home. You've been married a year. Now you have a new foster baby, and you get a phone call. Just tell us about the phone call. I'll never forget this phone call. Um, It was about 5 p.m. on a cold February day. We get a call from our social worker, and she says, we have a four-year-old and a nine-year-old little girl that need a home, and if you can't take them, we don't, we don't know where else they're going to go. I mean, no pressure in that moment, right? <laughs> and I remember, and she said, I need an answer in 10 minutes, like, huh? like 10 minutes to make that call. I remember just hanging up the phone, and my wife is in tears, and I'm, I'm crying too, and we are crippled with fear. Like, just absolutely terrified. Like, why, God, why are you calling us into this? And I I remember in that moment, God so clearly saying to me and to us, do this. Like, step into this. You don't know where this is going to lead, but I am asking you to step into the next step of faith. And so we got these two girls. I remember they they literally arrived at our house two hours after we got that phone call. And the older one, the nine-year-old, just her head was down. She couldn't even look at me in the face. And what I would come to learn about this girl is that the reason she couldn't look me in the face was because of the things that men had done to her in her short time of living. I mean, unimaginable things that men had done to her. And so she couldn't even look at me. She couldn't even speak to me. And what I saw happen over the course of the two years that we had these girls is this girl began to come alive. Our church surrounded us, and she began to develop healthy relationships with men in our church, healthy relationships with men in my family and with me. And this girl that couldn't even look us in the face developed a voice for herself. She began to be able to advocate for herself and experience joy and strength, and it was a beautiful thing to watch. And all I could think of is remembering to that February day that we got that call. Like, if we had not said yes to that, If we had said no, like we were so close to doing, I would have never been able to experience this girl coming alive. That's awesome. Can we just, I mean, that, I just think that's fantastic. And I I, I don't want to graze over the fact, though, that, I mean, just what you said, and this is the whole purpose here, too, is that you had no idea this this was going to be your story. You had no idea that a year in, you would go in one month from being no parents, you know, no kids to having three kids, you know, a baby four and nine years old. And that's total life change. And yet what you're saying is God turned your world upside down, but you saw the restoration that he began working through, through these kids and through you guys as well. So I I think that's awesome. Um, But here's the thing. Not everybody in this room may be called to foster care. Not everybody in this room may be called to adoption or something of that sort. So how would you encourage people to take a step into their relationship with God as disciples uh, in whatever context they feel like God may be calling them into. Yeah, so that's definitely true. Not all of us are called into foster care. 
um, or working with students or even a career in ministry. Uh, but one thing all of us are called to as Christ followers is discipleship. And discipleship is a big word that basically just means living like Jesus, doing the things that Jesus did, literally becoming broken for the things that broke Jesus' heart. And that's the calling for every single one of us if we bear the name Christian. And so over the last eight months, as a team, um, about seven of us on staff, we've been struggling through this question. What does it look like to equip our church to become obsessed with taking the next step with following Jesus? What does it look like for us to equip our church to live lives um, that really want to emulate Jesus? And so over the, the last eight months, I mean, you were, you're on this team with me. Like, we struggled over this question. Uh, there were times where we disagreed about the answer, where we grew together and where we looked at a, a variety of different models as to best equip the church. Um, and today we have a new resource that we are so, so excited to be able to tell you guys about. And that is uh, what we call our discipleship guide. Um, and this is a booklet. We'll have these available after the services in the back. And basically what the purpose of this booklet is, is it's for all of us as a church to begin struggling with this question of what's my next step in following Jesus? What does it look like? And this book is going to ask some pretty hard, pretty honest questions of our lives. We had an opportunity to work through it as a staff with our own lives, and it really exposed and enlightened us uh, to different areas in our lives where um, Jesus is calling us into more. He's calling us into, into this idea of being obsessed with following him. And so what we've done with this guide is we've broken it down into three relational uh, dynamics or dimensions. And if you want to put that next slide up there, the three dimensions are looking at our relationship with God, looking at our relationship with others in our church, and looking at our relationship with the outside world. If you've been a around Frontline for a while, you're familiar with this language, reaching, connecting, and sending, which is our mission as a church. And so what we want you to do is we want you to take these guides home with you um, if you're married, struggle through these questions. Ask some of yourselves. Be honest in your answers. If you're single, take these home and work through these um, on your own and, and really dig deep into where you are currently on your spiritual journey and where you feel like God is calling you uh, to go. And then at the end of this book, there's a list of resources that help you take the next step in what it means to follow Jesus. Can we thank Brad for coming up? I just love the story, and I love that there was an area of brokenness um, to start, you know, career-wise for Brad uh, to step into this church. Anyway, you know, there's kids in our church that don't have uh, a lot of great mentors in their lives, and they're seeking out Jesus and what it means to live like him, and they need someone to relate to. And so Brad said, oh, that's a need I can fill. And so he took a step forward, and his wife did with him, and, and then the stakes got higher, didn't they? And he's sitting right here in the service and he feels this, this tug towards foster care. And what I know too about Brad is they never talked about it before that day. And so immediately this question and the fears and the anxiety and the angst of just what, what do I do and how do I do this and I don't think I can and I'm not capable and I can't afford it and my schedule doesn't work and all the excuses that you and I know so quickly because we tell them to ourselves all the time. This is where I just want to focus today, and I just want to leave you with one question. What area of brokenness is God calling you to step into today? It could be personal. It could be sin. It could be addiction. It could be conflict in your marriage. It could be an affair. It could be, it could be anything. 
But what area personally could God be calling you into to step into of brokenness, but then expand your horizons here a second too and and remember that, that the church, the disciples, are God's plan A for redemption and restoration of the world. This is who he uses. This is why we gather together. This is why we exist as frontline to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our community. So this is what I just want to ask. What area of brokenness in your context? Is it your family? Is it your job? Is it your school? Is it your work? Whatever it is, what area of brokenness around you is God calling you to step into? This community, this community that cast out this demon-possessed man had a real issue on their hands and they thought they could deal with it by ignoring it. And there's just something on my heart. I heard this this week. Um, Did you know this? 14 kids in Grand Rapids were rescued from sex trafficking this week. That's that's worth applause. But I don't want you to miss it. That's a real problem. It's a real issue, and it's not just this far-off land. It's right here. It's right in our midst. Are we looking for issues of brokenness to step into? Or are we kind of just retreating, trying to hide them and ignore them? I just want to leave you this last quote. I heard this on my last day um, this week of seminary. Um, and our president, the president of the seminary, said this. Um, he quoted Eugene Peterson. He's a theologian. But he said, if you're going to the hardware store and you know it's going to take 15 minutes to go to the store and come back, set aside an hour so that you can set aside 45 minutes for God to use you in a way that you don't expect. Do we have margin? Do we have space in our lives to even step into the brokenness of others that we're called to do? What area is that? And how can you take an actionable step today to start stepping into that? Would you just pray with me? God, I'm just grateful for this message that you've just put on my heart. Father, I just have a burden for this and for for me personally, Lord. I'm just so grateful for your scripture and your word and that you guide us and direct us and teach us and rebuke us and train us up so that we can look like you, so that we can do what you've called us to do and that's to emulate Jesus. And Father, our world, it's no secret, is broken. And our lives are broken. And whether we share them with other people or whether we keep them to ourselves and whether we see them or whether we don't, Father, we experience brokenness every single day. Father, would you give us the courage this week to step into it? Would you give us the boldness to address these issues head on? And Father, would you give us the support of our church as well? People who love us and are also striving to follow Jesus, would you give us all the encouragement we need to seek after you, to follow you, and to continue taking steps into the places that you want us to go. God, we love you. We submit this time to you, and we pray this all in Jesus' name.